Uh, would you turn with me in a Bible to Psalm 147? So we uh, finished uh, going through the Gospel of Mark, and in a couple of weeks we're going to start a series going through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Uh, we've spent almost all the last year in the New Testament, so I thought it would be a good opportunity to dive into one of the major books in the Old Testament. Uh, but for the next two weeks, for today and next Sunday, I want to look at two psalms of praise. Um, this is uh, sort of the Easter season. Uh, some churches take the season leading up to Easter to focus especially on the cross of Christ, and we sort of did that in our series through the end of Mark. Uh, but um, the, the season following Easter is sort of a resurrection season, a celebration season, and I think there's much we have to praise God for. So we're going to look at two psalms uh, of praise and thanksgiving to God. Um, if you're not familiar with the psalms, uh, there's 150 of them in the Bible. They're a, a collection of songs and prayers. They were written uh, at several different periods of uh, Israelite history. So King David wrote a lot of them, uh, but there were also many others uh, that were written by at least, about, at least a dozen other people. So if you read the psalms, you'll find that they're quite diverse. There are psalms of lament, people crying out to God in distress. There are psalms of confession, people turning to God in repentance after uh, sin and moral failure. Uh, there are psalms of trust, people uh, just reminding themselves to rest in God's presence, even in the midst of turbulent um, circumstances. There are psalms of uh, history, of remembrance, people sort of looking back on the past and reflecting on what can be learned. Uh, there are psalms of thanksgiving, expressing gratitude for God's bountiful provisions, and finally there are psalms of praise. So those are just a selection of some of the different kinds of psalms, uh, prayers, or songs that you'll find if you read this book. And today we're looking at a psalm of praise. Um, I think the point is the psalms are meant to help us approach God no matter what kind of situation we find ourselves in in life. Um, but the psalms are meant to lead us toward praise. In fact, the last five psalms, 146 through 150, are all psalms of praise, which sort of give us a hint that uh, psalms sort of starts in all the different places where we are, but they're leading us on a journey towards praising God and being in his presence. Um, so let me read for us Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving and make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. 
He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. So this psalm we've just read is a psalm of praise, but praising isn't only something that people do in church. Praising is a very common human activity. We walk outdoors if it's a beautiful spring day, and we exclaim, what a glorious day. Isn't it wonderful? Or we enjoy a delicious meal at a favorite restaurant, and we tell somebody else, have you been to that restaurant? Have you tried that dish? It's really good. Or we enjoy an evening of good conversation with family members or close friends, and we say, isn't this part of what makes life worth living? Uh, Time with people whom we love. You know, human beings are often, if we listen to one another, we're often praising something or other. Uh, And there are a lot of things that are uh, worthy of praise to some degree in life, but this psalm reminds us that of all the things that we praise, God is worthy of our praise above everything else. And uh, this psalm focuses in on three reasons we have to praise the Lord. Uh, Now, if you look at this psalm in the Pew Bibles, uh, and you just sort of read through it, you might notice that it's divided into three sections uh, in the Pew Bibles. There's a space after verse 6, there's a space after verse 11. Uh, And so uh, sometimes, uh, now those spaces weren't in the original manuscript, they're just put there by the uh, people who translate and publish the Bibles, but in this case, if you look at these three sections, you might notice they all begin with a command Praise the Lord, verse 1. Or, verse 7, sing to the Lord. Verse 12, praise the Lord. And then the rest of each section focuses on a reason to praise the Lord. So the beginning of each section says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, and then each section gives us a reason. Now, another thing you'll notice if you look at each section uh, and sort of make some observations is you might notice that there. Uh, Each section highlights God's care for his creation and for his people. So, in the first section, it talks about how God orders the, uh, numbers the stars. In the second section, it talks about how God cares for uh, the soil, the ground, the earth, the animals. And then the third section uh, talks about uh, God's sovereignty over the seasons, So each section sort of highlights God's care for his creation, but each section also highlights God's care for his people. And what we're going to see is that there's a parallel in each section. The way that God cares for his creation uh, uh, reflects how God cares for us. So that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at each section one by one. Uh, We'll start with how God cares for his creation, and then we'll see how God cares for us. All right, so let's jump in. Section one. Uh, The theme of this section is praise God who sees both the big picture and the small details. You might say, where do I get that theme? Well, look at verse 4. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Now, the number of the stars is literally something that is beyond our comprehension. So some scientists have tried to estimate how many stars there are in the observable universe, 
And some of them have said, maybe there are 100 billion stars in every galaxy. And if that's true, there are about 1 billion trillion, that's one with 21 zeros after it, stars in the observable universe. Now that's only an estimate, because nobody really knows how, quite how far the boundaries of the universe extend. But the number of stars is unimaginably large. You could not reach that number if you spent your entire life doing nothing else but counting. Now, the psalmist lived before telescopes, before modern astronomical uh, observations, but in the ancient world, there were no electric lights. And so, the stars would have been far more visible at night. And there, the buildings weren't as tall. And so, wherever you were, pretty much every night, there wasn't a lot you could do outdoors after dark. No street lights. You don't go on long journeys in the middle of the night. That wouldn't work out very well. So regular people would have spent a lot more time noticing the night sky. Not just scientists or you know, people who look through telescopes and happen to be interested in that, but just normal people. Every night, you would see this huge uh, array of stars. Um, and the psalmist says, God is Lord of the stars of the vast universe. He determines the number of the stars. He sees the whole picture that's far too big for any of us to even comprehend. And at the same time, it says, God notices every individual detail. He gives to all of the stars their names. And so in verse 5, the psalmist reflects, Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. God sees the whole picture and the individual details of his creation. Uh, we heard that same theme in Isaiah 40. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name by the greatness of his might. But that's also true in how God relates to us as his uh, creatures whom he loves. God sees the whole picture of our lives, the whole picture of our lives and of human history that's too big for us to comprehend, and he also sees the individual details of our lives. Um, you know, God doesn't just look at the earth from a long distance away, sort of like those pictures of the earth that are taken from outer space. The earth always looks wonderful in those pictures, right? It always looks beautiful. It looks like could be paradise, right? Beautiful, amazing colors. Then, of course, when you look more closely, well, it's a mix, right? There's beauty and there's ugliness in this world. Um, God sees not only the big picture, but also the nitty-gritty details of our lives. He doesn't deal with us in sort of a mechanical, impersonal, distant way. He sees us and knows us personally and in detail. He knows the details of your life. And that's what this first section of the psalm celebrates. So notice, uh, if you look at all the verbs in two, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 6, um, notice those verbs. The Lord builds up. Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Now, many of those verbs appear in the latter half of the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah talks about the city of Jerusalem being rebuilt after the exile, the outcasts being gathered who had been scattered, and God's servant would come and bind up the brokenhearted. So this psalm might have been written 
after the people had returned from the exile in Babylon, maybe during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. But regardless, the people could look around at each other and say, look what God has done for us. He's gathered us when we were outcasts. He's healed us when we were overwhelmed by grief. He's built us up when we had been broken down. And you know, I think that we here at TCC, we too can look around and praise God for what he has done for us. Uh, today's sort of a small group of us. I assume that's partly uh, because of the weather. Uh, but two weeks ago, as we were singing together on Easter Sunday, uh, and we had a larger group of us, I, I thought back, uh, we were singing one of the hymns, and I looked, glanced around briefly, and I thought about a year ago, uh, Easter Sunday 2022. And that was a great day too. But it struck me as I looked around the sanctuary, some of you I didn't even know a year ago. You weren't here at all. Or maybe you had just started coming a couple of times right around that time. Um, and some of you who God has brought to this church, some of you have come here wounded, brokenhearted. You've been through some painful experiences. Uh, but you've begun to experience God meeting you and binding up those wounds. Uh, some of you have came here after a time of sort of wandering in the wilderness, not having any sort of regular connection to a body of Christian believers. And I think uh, some of you have expressed here, you feel at home. You've found a spiritual home. And those are all reasons to praise God. Uh, some of you were here, have been here for a long time, long before I was here. Some of you were here 10 or 20 years ago. And at that time, some of the people in this church were saying, this church should close down. Or this church needs to merge with another church because we're not going to survive. So if you talk to people who've been around here for a long time, they can remember those times, and not everybody agreed with that, but there were certainly some people who were saying that. Um, and over the years, through many different people, God has been merciful and faithful to sustain and build up this church. Um, you know, I don't hear anybody saying we should close down, right? Um, you know, God's, and, and that's a reason to praise God. Right? That's not something that you and I should sort of boast about or take credit for and say, see how great we are. No, but it's a reason to praise God because we serve a great and wonderful God who builds us up when we've been broken down and who humbles us. Sometimes that's what God does. He humbles us and brings us to a place where we really realize, God, we really need you. We really can't do this on our own. We're not smart and clever enough to figure this out. We're not even all that attractive on our own, but we need you to come and be present here. We need you by your word and by your Holy Spirit to be shaping us and making us into what you want us to be. So we can look around and praise God for what he's already done for us. And it's good to remind ourselves and, and not uh, uh, remind ourselves to do that. Uh, but you know, we can also praise God when we don't yet see the fulfillment of these things. So these, as I mentioned, these last Psalms are the conclusion to the book of Psalms. If you read 146, 147, 148, 149, 150, they're all Psalms of praise. They all start with praise the Lord and they all end with praise the Lord. And they're sort of pointing us towards our eternal future, right? The day when we'll see Jesus face to face and we'll be praising him without end. Um, and we won't have to lament anymore and we won't have to confess our sin anymore. 
and we won't have to do a lot of the other, uh, other things that the psalmist does earlier in the book, but we'll just be in God's presence, praising him forever. And we can praise God now, sort of looking forward to that day, even though we're not there yet, right? So we can praise God who heals the brokenhearted, even if we still feel wounded. And we're sort of like still recovering, still trying to, trying to find uh, some spiritual and emotional healing and strength. But we can say, no, we serve a God who heals the brokenhearted. I'm going to praise God because it's true about who he is. And when we look at Jesus, that's exactly who Jesus is. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. And even if I haven't fully experienced that to the extent that I hope to, there's still a reason to praise God. Or we can declare that we serve a God who gathers the outcasts, even as we pray for those who are still very far away from God. Right? Many of us have loved ones, friends, family members in our lives that we feel like, oh, I wish that they could know the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And yet they might seem very far away from, from even wanting that, having any interest in that. But God is a God who gathers in the outcasts. And there's many examples of how God's done that in the past. And we can praise God that that's true about him, even as we pray for that to happen and for more people to be able to testify uh, to that reality. So we haven't yet seen the end of the story, but we sing this song of praise in anticipation of the day when we will. So that's the first reason this psalm gives us to praise God. Praise God who sees both the big picture and the small details. Nothing's too big for the God who numbers the stars, and nothing's too small for the God who knows each one of them by name. If he knows the stars by name, surely he knows each of us by name as well. Uh, now the second section, verse 7 to 11, gives us a second reason to praise God. And the second reason I would summarize in this way, praise God who provides for those who depend on him. Verse 7 through 11. And again, uh, when we look at this psalm, we see how God does this for his creation. Verse 8 and 9 talks about God caring for uh, the earth um, and ordering his creation so that his creatures will be adequately nourished. And we can praise God when there's a rainy day because that's the only way that things are going to grow. And uh, that's how God provides for the animals. Uh, talks about the beasts eating their food. Think about sheep and cows grazing on the hills. But God also uh, provides for the young ravens. Now, do you know anything about ravens? Ravens don't eat grass. Okay, they're scavengers. Uh, they feed on rodents, eggs, garbage, and carcasses of dead animals. And in the Old Testament, ravens and vultures were considered unclean. The people of Israel were not allowed to eat them or touch them uh, because they were so much associated with death because uh, they would just feed on all the dead, gross things. Uh, but the psalmist sees God's hand of provision even for the vultures, the ravens. Right? Not just for sort of sheep and cows grazing peacefully in the field, but for the ravens circling the garbage dumps. God provides for them too. Right? God provides for his creatures in all kinds of ways, in the beautiful ways and even in the not-so-beautiful ways. Um, but stepping back from the details, right? what does this show us about God? It shows us that God is diligent and generous and productive in providing for all his creatures. 
Now, how does this characteristic of God apply to us? Uh, does it mean that God delights in us if we are diligent, generous, and productive, like he is? Is that the point? Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10 points us to a different conclusion. God's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. That's probably referring to military might. Back then, an army was cavalry and infantry. So people riding strong horses and foot soldiers, right? So that's probably a reference to military might. His delight is not in military might, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love, right? God's greatest delight is not in our physical strength or physical fitness or productivity or prowess. God delights above all in people who fear him. That means depend on him, stand in awe of him, respect and honor him as he deserves, um, and who hope in him, who hope in his steadfast love, who depend on him. And so the principle we see is God delights in us who depend on him. And he delights to provide for us as we depend on him. You know, and we, this is not just something we see in this psalm. Jesus said the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Doesn't he say, if your heavenly father feeds the birds and clothes the grass, isn't he going to take care of you too? Can't you trust him as well? God delights as we entrust our past and present and future into his hands. Right? Now, it's certainly true that as we fear God, as we hope in his steadfast love, that God's spirit works within us so that we become diligent and productive and generous like God himself. But the psalmist is reminding us you can't put the cart before the horse. Right? If you've entrusted yourself to Jesus, God delights completely in you as his child. Think about it this way. Why does a parent delight in a little baby? Not because of how productive the baby is. Babies produce only one thing. A mess to clean up. Right? Not because of the baby's moral performance. Not because of the baby's physical strength. Not even because of the baby's future potential. Because you know what? Any, any parent has to realize, no matter how good of a parent you are, you can't ultimately control the future course of your child's life. And a good parent doesn't withhold love and approval and delight until their child grows up and proves themselves. No, a good parent delights in their children from day one and lavishes love on them. And that love takes different forms over time, including correction and discipline and teaching and all those other things, but it's a steadfast, enduring love. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. God delights in us, his children, who he has brought to himself through Jesus Christ as we depend on him. So as soon as you come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, take me, I'm yours. I'm a mess, and I can only produce a mess, but I need you, and I need you to forgive me, and I need you to cleanse me, and I need you to take me as your own. God delights in you. He's not waiting for you to prove yourself. He's not waiting to see how strong you'll be or how much you'll be able to endure. He delights in us who depend on him. You know, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, maybe you've been diligent, productive, generous, serving God for decades, rejoice in this glorious truth. Your heavenly Father still delights in you, not because of all the work you've accomplished for him, 
but because you're with him, because you belong to him, because you're his child, he's adopted you into his family through Jesus Christ, his beloved son, and you can rest in that truth from beginning to end. God delights in us as we depend on him. So praise God who sees the big picture and the small details. That's section one. Section two, praise God who delights to provide for those who depend on him. And finally, section three, verse 12 to 20, praise God who rules and transforms us by his word. Uh, again, uh, look at how God expresses uh, rules and transforms his creation by his word. Verse 15 through 18 talks about the seasons. He sends out his command to the earth. Verse 15, his word runs swiftly. And it talks about the winter time, how God uh, uh, brings the frost and the ice and the cold. And then verse 18, he sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. The idea is God orders the seasons. God has uh, ordered our life on earth intentionally uh, through his word. And we see God's majesty, we see God's mercy uh, in the course of the seasons. Uh, but God's word doesn't just rule and transform his creation. God's word also rules and transforms us. Verse 19, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. Right? The God who numbers the stars, the God who feeds the beasts and the birds, the God who orders the seasons of the year, he has spoken to us. What an amazing privilege. It says he's given us his uh, statutes. And that word means something engraved on a rock. It sort of uh, emphasizes the permanence of God's word. Uh, his rules uh, or his judgments, that means his authoritative decisions. Uh, and verse 20 says he hasn't done this for any other nation. And uh, that's not an arrogant boast, uh, but it's sort of an expression of amazement and gratitude. People of Israel are looking around and saying no other God has spoken to us uh, in the way that our God, the true God, has. And they're saying, like, who in the world am I? Who in the world are we that God should, that the God of the universe would speak to us and give us his, his truth and his word? What a privilege and what a responsibility. The people of Israel were called to be a light to the nations. And that's also true for us as the Christian church. We have received the amazing privilege and responsibility of knowing God through his word. And we, too, are called to be visibly transformed by God's word so that we can be a light to the world and show others uh, the way to God. Now, if you look at verse 13 and 14, those verses show some of the beneficial effects of God's word, uh, security, significance, peace, and joy. Um, so this psalm invites us to be a people who are ruled and transformed by God's word. So let me close by giving us a challenge in this respect. Uh, I want you to think about this question. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you take time every day to watch the news or to read the news on your phone? All right? Think about that question, right? Probably many of us. And what happens over time if you make reading the news or watching the news a daily habit? Well, you start thinking about the world through the frame that your news source presents it. And then what happens to your conversations with other people? Well, you start repeating what you've heard on the news. Did you hear what so-and-so did and said? So here's my challenge to all of us. All right, for, all of, for, for all of you or for all of us who watch the news every day, do you spend at least as much time every day reading God's Word? Now, if you say, I'm too busy to read the Bible, 
But every day, oh, I make sure I watch the news, you're not too busy, your priorities are just out of whack. You see, some of the news that's out there is unreliable and distorted. But the Bible shows us a God who is 100% reliable. His character is unchanging. His purposes are eternal. And even if all the news that you read is 100% true, most of it will be irrelevant. In three months or even three weeks. But God's word will never go out of date. It has lasted 2,000 years. Or this psalm has probably lasted 3,000 years. People read it in every country of the world. People have been transformed by it. All kinds of people. So God's word is worth prioritizing and investing our time in. And if we read and study and meditate on the Bible on a daily basis, think about what effect it'll have. Right? We'll start thinking about the world in light of God and God's character and God's purposes and the frame in which the Bible presents the world to us. And we'll start living as the Holy Spirit works in us according to what we're learning, right? And that will be a blessing to others. And then we'll also just start naturally repeating biblical truths, just like people naturally repeat whatever they've heard on the news, right? But instead, the truths of the Bible will, will sort of sprinkle into our conversations with others. And we can help others by sharing God's truth and God's presence with them. Now, of course, you might say, but the Bible's hard to understand. It's harder to understand than the news. I completely agree. But guess what? Anything on earth that is worth learning is not completely evident at first glance. Any skill, any valuable skill that you have obtained through the course of your life, you didn't immediately get it as a three-year-old, right? It took time and effort and energy to learn that skill over time. But it's worth digging into God's word. Even though it's not always easy to understand, it takes time. If you're starting out, I encourage you start with one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Start by just reading one of those through. Or start by reading one of Paul's letters like Ephesians. Uh, in a couple, or come to Sunday school. That's a great way to discuss the Bible with others, adult Sunday school every Sunday at 9.30. We dig into the Bible and discuss it together, Amen. right? Or find somebody else that you can do that with one-on-one -on -one during the week. Uh, so that's the challenge I want to leave us with, is to let our lives be ruled and transformed by the living word of God. And to uh, share that, you know, one of the best ways, if you've spent time studying God's word, and if you have knowledge, one of the best ways to improve on that is to share it with others. You know, almost every time I'm preparing a sermon, there's something new that I learn or that I notice, right? It's, it's a great benefit to teaching, right, in one form or other. If you teach the children in children's ministry or help out with them, you'll probably learn from that. If you, you know, get together with somebody else uh, who's maybe newer along the way, you know, let me just encourage you, pass, find a way to pass along whatever knowledge you've obtained so that it can benefit others as well. So praise God who sees the big picture and the small details. Praise God who delights to provide for those who depend on him. And praise God who rules and transforms us by his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for all these reasons to praise you. And we pray that as we see you for who you are, that our hearts will be filled 
uh, with love and appreciation and praise for you and that we would be a praising people, uh, people who uh, praise not only your good gifts and uh, the good things around us and other people, but ultimately people who praise you above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.